sin. Father, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy in our lives. We um, need you so much. And as we were introduced to your grace last time that we did this uh, discipleship, and as we talk about your grace every single Sunday, uh, Father, we don't want to have a hard heart that thinks that we already understand everything. Lord, we want to have a teachable, soft hearts that can learn from your word and the truth that you give. Uh, so please teach us this morning from uh, uh, your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I say grace, that's another way of saying the new covenant. And you may have heard of the term new covenant or not, but they're the same thing, grace and the new covenant. And so for these 10 discipleship sessions, we're going to be talking about the new covenant of grace. Now, in order to be able to understand the new covenant, we have to study the old covenant first so that we can learn what the new, why the new covenant is important, why it's needed, why uh, we need to, to love it and, and worship God for and through the new covenant. The old covenant is something we need to understand. Another way that we call the old covenant is law, okay? The law. When I say the law, what do you think of? Rules, the Ten Commandments, what else? Um, death. death, okay. <laughs> it's illegal for you to live, no. The Constitution brought laws, okay. Yes, absolutely, but specifically when we say Old Covenant, we're talking about those Ten Commandments. The, the first set of rules that God gave to Moses, now they, didn't, they don't predate his grace or his love, because Abraham was way before Moses, and we'll We'll learn about that. But they were a way that God established for the nation of Israel to relate to him, to, to obey him. So the law is the Ten Commandments, which is a giant standard of how people were supposed to live. Now, the really sad part is that most Christians today think that God still relates to them based on this standard, that, that God still only they're only good people if they keep the Ten Commandments, and bad people disobey the Ten Commandments, and that's how God looks at everything. And unfortunately, that's not true, because the New Covenant changes everything for us. Now, does, the old, does that mean the Old Covenant disappears, and we never uh, have to wor- like look at the Ten Commandments and, and see what that standard is? No, we're going to study today that the, the Old Covenant has a lot of use. But for introduction... The Old Covenant was old because the New Covenant had to come and be new for us. So we have a new way of relating or connecting or knowing God. So the first verse that we look at is Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 11. It's the first one on your page there. And it says, It came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. So this is Moses talking. He's remembering and recounting what happened when God gave him the Ten Commandments. So if God gave you something, it probably wasn't a mistake since God doesn't make mistakes. This ten, these Ten Commandments are not a mistake like plan A and then because we all were terrible at keeping the Ten Commandments, he had to come up with plan B, which was Jesus. That's not the case. Jesus was always plan A, but the Ten Commandments were there for a very, very important reason, which we're going to find out as we go through it today. But the Ten Commandments were not a complete system either. They weren't designed to do everything. No one will ever go to heaven because they kept the Ten Commandments good enough. Okay, Because the Ten Commandments 
are so high and so intense and they demand so much obedience that you and I are all on the same side, which is sinner. We are all lawbreakers. Has anyone in here kept the Ten Commandments perfectly since the day they were born? No. Which means Ten Commandments are up there and we are down here with Hitler. We're on the same side as Hitler. We are just as much rule breakers. Now, he may have broken a few more rules and a few more intense ones, but we're on the same side. His law is so high that it condemns all of us as sinners. And we'll see that as we keep going in here. So if I were to ask you this question, what is the message of the Ten Commandments? What is the message of the law? What would be your response? Many people say, well, it's be a good person. That's one response. Other people say it, it, it's try your best. But those are all inaccurate statements. That is not what the law says. So what does the law say? Well, Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to let the Bible tell us what the law says, okay? Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy. So the law says, be holy. Does anyone know what the word holy means? Sanctified, set apart. It means perfect, holy, uh, like God. Okay? Holy like God. How holy does the law say we are supposed to be? As holy as God. That's the standard of the law. God, the, the law says you have to be as holy as God. Nothing else rises to the standard that he is setting in the law. Is that good news or bad news? Yeah, this is bad news. The law is full of bad news. We have something else called the gospel that's full of good news, but we'll talk about that later. You'll get really thirsty for the gospel as we study the law. So the law says, be holy. Now, look in 1 Peter. Peter comes along a couple thousand years later after Moses during the church, and he says the same thing. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. So Peter, he agrees that the law says, be holy. But tell me something. I, I know Peter's in the New Testament, so all they talk about is grace in the New Testament, right? Wrong. You have to be smart. You have to listen and with context understand when a pastor in the New Testament, like Peter, is talking about law or is talking about the gospel or grace or the new covenant. Right here, Peter is using the law the right way. He is exalting the standard and holiness that the law calls us to. Is, he, is Peter saying, try your hardest to be holy? Or is he saying the standard is perfection? The standard is holiness. That's what he's actually saying. And again, Peter says, how holy do we have to be? As holy as God. So the first message of the law, and everyone repeat after me, is be holy. Be holy, that's right. No flexibility in that, no mercy. And so my question is, have you ever been holy? No, we're not. We don't. We don't measure up to this standard. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy 6.5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is in the law. Love God perfectly 
is a law. It's the law. Love God. Now look at Leviticus 19. He says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he says, love God and love others perfectly. That is what the law is all about. So the law says, be holy first. And now we see that the law says, be loving. We're supposed to love God and love others. And this is law. How loving are we supposed to be? As loving as God. That's the standard. He says, I am the standard for how loving you are supposed to be. Now we fast forward again to the New Testament and we see Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. They, they came to him and said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And what does he say? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the law says simply, be loving. Love God, love others. How loving? As loving as God. So is Jesus disagreeing with the law? No, he's agreeing perfectly with the law. Now I want to ask you a question. How many churches have you been to or sermons have you heard where the main point of the sermon was, you just got to love God more? Or, you know what? We're going to be a church that loves others more. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Is it bad? No. It's, it's, that's what the law says. But can we do the law? No. The law is a standard way too high for me. Now, if someone asks me a question and says, do you love God? Or if I turn to you and I said to you, do you love God? Your response might be, yeah, I love God. But let me change it. Do you love God the way you're supposed to love God? The way he deserves to be loved? And so the answer to that for everybody is no. I fail. I have not, I do not love God. Well, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Yes, because I believe in the gospel, not because I love God. Do you love others? Do you really love anyone in this world the way that they deserve to be loved? And the answer to that question is no. That's rough. That's harsh. Were you telling me I don't love my wife? You're telling me, no, you don't. You don't love your family. You don't love the way that they deserve to be loved. Are you kidding? The way Jesus loved? No, we don't. Now, we might love them a certain amount, but do we love them all the way up the way the law says that we're supposed to love them? No, because when we try to keep the law, and loving is part of the law, we're trying in our own efforts to be what God tells us to be, to do what God tells us to do, and that is a broken way to try to do it because I can't love. I don't have love in me the way God does. And when I try to do it on my own, I become ridiculous. I become, it's sad to watch me try to do it on my own. So the law says, be holy, never do anything wrong, okay? 
The law says number two, what? Be loving. Be holy. Be loving. And we fail at every single bit of that. We fail so much. Now it actually goes further. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you shall be, what's it say? Perfect. Perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And who said this? Jesus. So does Jesus disagree with the law? No. He says the standard, if you want to live by the law, the standard is absolute, total perfection. How perfect do you have to be? As perfect as who? God. So the message of the law is really simple. Be holy, be loving, be perfect. But does the law help you to be holy, be loving, or be perfect? No. It just sits there with its requirements yelling at you, telling you, you aren't good enough. You, it's like a measuring stick. That's all the law is. It is a measuring stick. And you're trying to measure up, but the measuring stick is from the ground to the moon. And it's showing you, you are so far short from God's standard, from God's perfect vision of a man, from what God made you to be. You are this far short. It, it's from here to the moon. And we, oh, we try so hard to live up to the law. But in the end, every single person comes to the exact same conclusion, which is, I am not good enough. And that conclusion is predetermined because God planned it that way. He wants us to realize and understand we are not good enough in our own. We cannot do it. That's an ability of the law. But first, before we get into its abilities, we're going to look at some of the inabilities of the law. What is it incapable of doing? Hebrews seven eighteen. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment, that's the law, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand... There's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So here we learn an inability of the law is that it makes nothing perfect. What did we just learn that Jesus said the law demands? That perfection. And here we say it doesn't supply perfection. It demands perfection, but it doesn't supply it. So it's just a boss demanding and commanding you to do things that you can't do. Do you love that boss? No, we hate those bosses. It supplies nothing that we need. It is only the measuring stick of how far short we fall. Look, Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So here's another inability of the law, really easy, the word justification, which is the easiest way to remember it. It's just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. That means starting out with God, getting born again, getting saved, becoming a Christian. He says very clearly, as clear as can be, the law can't do that. It can't do it. You have to have faith in Christ and trust Christ and believe that Jesus fulfilled the law for you. The next one is down in the next chapter, Galatians chapter 3. 
the next inability of the law. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? That's that beginning relationship with God, being justified, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? And so the topic of this verse is not justification or starting out, but he says it's sanctification or going on with God. See, we all become a Christian at one moment in time, and then from that moment to the day you die, we're being changed day by day. And that process of being changed is called sanctification. And he says right here that that process, sanctification, cannot happen by the law. The law can't do it. In fact, he calls it foolish. In Greek, that means stupid. To think that we can do it on our own, in our own efforts, our own trying to keep the law. But what happens? Someone becomes a Christian, born again by faith, and so they slap up a picture of those Ten Commandments, and what do they do? They say, I'm going to keep those Ten Commandments every day. I'm going to do my best, and when I break one, I'm going to feel really bad, and I'm going to try harder the next time. Who has that ever worked for? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And Paul says it's foolish to keep trying to do that. It's never able to make someone change. So what is the law able to do? Why would God give it to Moses in the first place if it's not able to save us and it's not able to transform us or change us? Then what is it there for? And it's very simple. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, actually, the law can do a lot of things, but let's start in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the flesh, or the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I see three, maybe up to six different abilities of the law in those two verses, but we'll just point out the first one. Number one, it's able to stop mouths, which means it's able to tell you to shut up. I love that. Actually, I hate that, because it tells me to shut up. Whenever I think, I'm doing pretty good. Look, Hitler's way down there, and I'm this much better. The law speaks to me and says, yeah, but you're on the same side. You fall short. You are not good enough. And so it shuts down my boasting. It shuts down my pride, and it teaches me I can't do it on my own. It shuts mouths. Number two, it says it makes you guilty. Oh, what a great friend, always making you feel guilty. I say that sarcastically because it's not our friend. It has a purpose, it serves a purpose, but it's not our friend. Number three, it makes you aware of sin. So that's a great use of the law. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to punch people in the face. Oh, the law told me. Now I know. Does the law help me to stop punching them in the face? No. Because the law says I'm guilty even if I didn't actually punch them in the face, but I thought, I don't like you. The law says that makes you guilty as well. So the law really doesn't help at all when it comes to changing who I am. This is why people feel condemned when they hear preaching that pushes obedience to the law all the time. 
Instead of learning how to abide in Christ and believe the gospel for all of our needs, a lot of preaching emphasizes just obey the law. Just do it. Make a decision. Give me more effort. You know what? If you really wanted it, you would have it. All of these statements are law-based preaching. And it always makes people feel condemned. Do you ever go to church and feel condemned? I hope not. That wind or children? I can't tell. (laughs) The law can't enable the things it commands, but Jesus can by his grace. My prayer, my hope for everyone that I ever speak to is that they don't leave feeling like I I'm asking them to do something that is impossible for them to do. But I hope that every time you go talk to someone and I talk to someone, they feel, yes, the law commands way more than I could ever give. But Jesus supplies way more than the law could even command. That's the gospel. That's the grace that we're going to spend Many much time studying. Oh, every week we should be studying it. So look at Romans chapter 7. We see a, few, a little bit more of the inabilities of the law. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me. The law simply makes us see and feel our need that we are sinners. So I'm supposed to present the law to you every Sunday. And then That is not so that you say, I'm going to do it, and I don't want to have a rally where we're all like, here's the standard, let's all meet the standard. That, That can't be what it is. But I am supposed to present the law every Sunday till we feel, we all as a as a group, as a family, feel and know that we are incapable completely of obeying this law. It's it's rough. It it makes us feel like sinners. It does nothing to help you with that feeling. It it reaches no hand out to help you up. Now, in Galatians 3.24, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. This is a great thing the law can do. It can push us to help us see our need for Jesus. That is the best part of the law. Now, it's really sad that sometimes preaching happens and people hear the standard, but they never are brought to Jesus to meet that standard. They're left and they leave the church thinking, what am I going to do to meet this standard? Years go by and, and what two things will happen. Number one, they either give up trying because they've realized they've tried as hard as they can and they'll never meet the standards, so they stop going to church and burn out. Or number two, they try so hard, but the standard is so high they have to kind of change it and make their own standard, and we call that legalism. 
where they said, well, the law is actually not that high. It's this high, and I can kind of reach that one. And so they change the law to be something they think they can kind of reach, and that dishonors God as well. So the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. And what does a tutor do when their student does something wrong? They take out the little stick and they whoop, whip them right in shape. Okay? When we try to do it on our own, or when we try and fail, it always, the law is there, not with hands of love and acceptance, but with hard, you know, tutor stick, whatever you call that. All right, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. This is a very important verse because this will tell us what the law's usefulness in your life is today. It says, but we know that the law is good if, 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 and you should have that word underlined in your Bible and highlighted if. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Isn't that funny? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Who is righteous in the Bible? Jesus, but also me. When I have faith in Jesus, when I am under the gospel, when I believe the gospel, God says, I am righteous. When I believe the gospel, when I have come to Jesus, that makes me righteous, nothing else. And he says, if I'm in that state of righteousness where I believe in Christ, I trust in Christ, the law is not for me. But it's for the lawless and insubordinate, the ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. And if there's anything else, I left off this list, he says. Anything that's bad, if I am living in that lifestyle, which means I'm not believing the gospel, but I'm trusting in that lifestyle. I'm not, I, I don't want to repent of it. I want to continue living in whatever lifestyle is described here. If I want to trust in something else besides Christ, then I don't trust in the gospel. And he says, that's where the use of the law is really great. It is connected with unbelieving. For the believer, the law serves no use outside of what the Bible says it's for which is feeling and seeing and sensing our need for Jesus. So should we study the law? Yes. Every day, all day, we should be remembering God's law, his standard. Why? A couple of reasons. Because it helps us to feel our need for Jesus. How many times do we wake up and be like, eh, I'm not going to really spend time with Jesus because I got this today. Happens all the time. When we feel our need for Jesus, that comes when we've looked at the law. We've seen our inability. We've seen our sinfulness. And then we're thankful and we embrace and believe the gospel fully with all our heart. We're convinced of our need for Jesus. That's what the law is, is good for a Christian. Also, if a believer decides, you know what, something else is going to meet my needs, the law will come in and correct that in their life as well. So how is the law going to be fulfilled in our life? I know we're going quickly through this. When I meet one-on-one -on -one with guys to go through this, or you go one-on-one, -on -one, you, you can explore and, and really dig into all these things and ask yourself all the really hard questions. But today we're just kind of doing the overview of this lesson. So the question now is how is the law fulfilled in our life? As a Christian, are we supposed to ignore the law? and never look at it again, and sin as much as we want? No, that is not the case. 
We are to look at the law, remember the law, but know what it's there for. What's the message of the law? Be, be, and be, be holy, be loving, be perfect. That's the message of the law. Okay, so it's really good to remember that. But we also have to know how is it going to be fulfilled in my life because I can't be holy, be loving, and be perfect if I do it on my own. So Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy them. I came to fulfill them. Jesus is going to do it for you and through you. That is the gospel. That is grace. It is that Jesus will do it all for you. And all he requires of you is humility and faith. Believing that you need him and trusting him. It's a connection thing with him. It's real. So in Romans 10.4, it says an amazing verse that we commonly overlook. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law for righteousness. We don't have to try and gain righteousness either to get saved or to continue or to grow in, in Christ. You don't have to gain any of that on your own. He says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He gives it for free. What did you do to earn salvation? Nothing. You confessed your brokenness and your need and your sin before God and said, Jesus, save me. And he said, okay, I'll save you. How does he transform you? The exact same way. You come to him and say, ah, I'm still a sinner. I'm still dumb. Why, are, why do I do this? I am broken and spiritually bankrupt. And so God, I need you to change me. It just changes one word. Instead of save me, it's change me. Change me, Father. And Jesus says, okay, I will change you. And that is what the new covenant declares and says. Jesus does it all for us. Look at Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sin from flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says, hey, keeping the law as a Christian is a big deal. You got to keep the law, but you can't keep the law. You don't have the strength to keep the law. So Jesus will keep the law through you. He will do it for you. Jesus provides a new strength, and we call this the Holy Spirit. Did, did Jesus keep the law? He did pretty good at it, right? Like 100%. Was it hard for him to keep the law? No, because by nature, he kept the law because he is good, he is God, and the whole law is just a description of what God would look like if he became a man, which was Jesus. So Jesus didn't have to try to keep the law. He kept the law in perfect obedience because it's who he was. He didn't have to try. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to give that to you. So instead of you being like, I got to try to keep the law, he says, here is my heart my strength, my life inside you. And now if you walk in my spirit, you can keep the law 
by nature instead of by effort. This is when you all say, Hallelujah! Because He's so good. It's such a good deal. It's such a wonderful blessing that God has given us. He says, "You, I will change your nature. He puts, it's called the Holy Spirit. And our job is to walk in it. So how do you walk in the Holy Spirit as opposed to in, what did he say? The flesh. Well, if it has to do with my efforts, my strength, my will and my desire, that is all under the umbrella of flesh, and I can't walk in that. Which means if I'm trying to stop lying, I am failing. In fact, if I say the word try, I have already failed. You can't try to follow God. You can't try to keep his law. If you're trying, it means it's coming from you, which means you have failed already. You can't, you, the word try is the worst four-letter curse word in the Christian heart. When we try, we are saying, Jesus, I don't need you. Jesus, I don't need you. I got this. And Jesus says, okay, tell me how that goes. We'll see you when you're repenting tomorrow. It fails. We fail every time. But Jesus, in his grace, provides strength for us. And to walk in that strength, you need two things, and we'll talk about this over and over and over, is humility and what? Faith. That is what God, every church service, you should hear that. Every time you have a Bible study, you should remember that. Everything is humility and faith. That is all we can do. That is all we can bring to the table. I love it. It's amazing. Galatians 4.21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Okay, so in the church, we have a group of people called legalists or people who, have you ever heard the term legalism? It's this term that we assign to someone who thinks and believes, this is the real definition, that by efforting to keep the law, that they will be able to keep the law. Or by trying to keep the law, they are pleasing God. Trying to keep the law, listen to me, trying to keep the law does not please God. Keeping the law makes God happy, but you suck at that. And so do I. We can't keep the law. Trying to keep the law is what the devil wants you to do. Satan wants you to dig down deep and give your best effort at church and to change people and to do things. And Jesus says, please stop and believe my gospel. Believe what I have done for you. Put your trust in what I have done and then do whatever you want. Because the heart that I will plant inside you will only desire to do my Father's will. That's the gospel. That is what we are learning. Amen is right. He says in this verse, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? The problem with legalism, guys, is people aren't really listening to what the law says. They think the law says, try hard to do me. Try hard to keep my standard. Try harder to lift yourself up to the moon. And they really think that they can do it. So get it. The, the real problem with legalism and legalistic people is not that they think too much of the law, it's that they think too low of the law. They don't think the law is high enough. They think the law is actually attainable. 
And that's what breaks in the system. And that's what makes people really struggle and give up. When the old covenant, uh, when you hear what the old covenant says, what the law says, it will make you sad and disappointed because it's so high. But we study all this because the next time we get together, we're going to talk about the glory and the beauty of the new covenant, which raises us up higher than the law could even demand. In fact, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new law. Just do whatever's most loving, and I will supply you with the ability, the spirit, the heart, the resources to actually do the most loving thing. And it's way above and beyond what the law could ever demand. I'll leave you with one quick story as we uh, just wrap that up. That's our study of the law. You can come on up, worship people. (laughs) Um, There's a guy named... uh, Zacchaeus, you remember him in the Bible? Zacchaeus was wee little guy, wee little guy was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree, something like that. Anyway, he was short, okay? And, and he tried to get up um, to see Jesus. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go eat at your house tonight. I, I love you. And, and Jesus told him all about who he was and what he was there for. And Zacchaeus believed And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a wicked person. But he believed in Jesus. Jesus saved him. And Zacchaeus' response, Jesus never told him what to do. But what happens is Zacchaeus has this heart transformation. And Zacchaeus gives half his goods to the poor. And if he's stolen anything from anybody, he repaid like 10 times or something. I forget the numbers right now. Four times? Okay. Well, the law never demanded you to give half your goods to the poor, period. And the law also never demanded that you repay four times. You were only supposed to pay back double. So Jesus, by giving grace and and totally unearned favor and love, was was able to get from Zacchaeus far more goodness and good works than the law ever could produce. And so the common challenge to me is, hey, if you're not going to tell people what they need to do to do right and do wrong, then you're just going to have a bunch of sinners on your hand. And they're not going to know. And I say, no, that is absolutely wrong. I'm going to give them the love of Jesus, the unearned, undeserved grace of Jesus. And what I'm going to get out of the hearts of the people that I minister to is going to be far and beyond what the law could have ever produced. And, and if you look around, that is what is happening. People give much more of their time. People give so much money. People give and give and give. And if you don't, it's okay. Because God still loves you. And the gospel still is in effect for you. It is okay. And we can wait because I'm not in charge of what fruit is produced in your life. That the, that's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to continue to remind you that we can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can do it. And so every week we're going to have that same message. Jesus will do it. We wait upon him. We look to him and we trust and believe in him. Let the law do its work of making us broken. And then Jesus does the work of planting and forming our our plant to produce fruit. And it is such a wonderfully different way of transforming lives 
rather than the law, which says, just do it. Give more, change, stop doing that, stop doing that. Y'all a bunch of sinners, knock it off. But I can do that if you guys want. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. All right. So would you guys all stand with me? During our our time of worship here, the the, um, vision, the heart of this is to respond to what God has just spoken to your heart. God's given you a message of his grace. And again, our only response to that should be humility. Yeah, I I don't deserve this. I need it. And faith. I'm going to believe in what Jesus has done for me.